Hello and welcome to the Thursday Night Post Game Show, not live from the road this week. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm joined today by Brady and David. Georgia State blew a 21 nothing halftime lead and a 24 to 14 lead in the final six minutes as they fell 25 to 24 to Old Dominion on the final day of the regular season. Uh, we'll try and unpack whatever took place in Norfolk and reset the Sean Elliott era at the end of seven regular seasons. So let's have a quick rundown of this disaster of a football game. It was all Panthers in the first half as they lend total yardage 230 to 44 as they took their three score lead into the locker room. But it was about to turn. Running back Marcus Carroll did not play in the second half and the Georgia State offense ground to a halt without him. Two explosive touchdowns for Old Dominion cut the Panthers early lead to seven in the fourth quarter. And the GSU offense could only add three points from a pair of drives in the final 15 minutes that began inside the ODU 40. It was a 24-14 game with 4.49 left when Old Dominion took possession back, looking to stage a comeback. They marched all the way into the red zone, but were forced to settle for a field goal with 1.37 to go. After Jakari Carter downed a failed onside kick attempt at the 9, disaster for the Panther offense. Bad snaps on consecutive plays led by backup center Alec Johnson led to a loss of 7 and then a safety that cut the GSU lead to 5 and gave ODU the ball back with a chance to win it late. And win it late, they did when quarterback Grant Wilson called his own number for a game-winning three-yard touchdown run as time expired. The loss completes a second-half collapse for the Panthers, as 6-1 six and one has now become a regular season record of 6-6. Six and six. This is the program's first five-plus game-losing streak since losing the last seven games of the 2018 season. They are still bowl-eligible and will await the assignment in the next week. So, gentlemen, what you got about this? Because I have absolutely nothing. Thank you, Jordan, as always, for getting us through that recap of uh, a game I think everyone would like to forget. There's a lot to unpack with this game um, on multiple levels, and we'll get to all of it. And I promise you, I mean all of it. But I think what will be helpful is to just go through the game itself first and maybe even just take it as the game went along because you know, there was a lot of that good. We've seen this team be good this year, especially early on in games, and we got this again. They were up 21 nothing at the half. Um, there were a couple of silly interceptions by Darren, um, but they didn't cost you. The defense played great in the first half. Four sacks. Um, after both of those interceptions, Old Dominion did not even get a first down on the drives, uh, one of which was starting around midfield, so they got pretty good field position would have been a moment and maybe you see them get a little bit of juice, but the defense did not let them do that. And because of that, I say, I, I don't know how, how much more you could have asked for from the first half. Like those two turnovers, you gave, gave up some chance for some more points could have been 28, nothing 35, nothing maybe at the half, but they didn't lose because they weren't up by four or five scores. The three scores should have been plenty in this game to see it out. And so you know, here we are. Oh, man. <laughs> um, I mean, you, you really. That was not great. Um, speechless isn't the word because I have certainly shared my thoughts privately uh, in a way that are not fit for this podcast um, or post game show, rather. Um and I mean, I think there is some nuance that we'll obviously go into. Um, yeah, that one. This might not be the nuance pod. The, I, there will the, be a nuance this, pod. I don't know. I do not promise that this will be the pod where we go into the nuance on everything. Yeah. And I, like, it sucks because I'm I'm trying so desperately hard to divorce yesterday's game from the 2023 season to talk about yesterday's game, if that makes sense. And I really can't. And it sucks because there's so many things, there's so many, you know, things in yesterday's game that if you just look at it in a vacuum, they suck. But like, you know, Carol not playing in the second half. Obviously that sucks. You know, we've been tracking his, um, his total yardage, you know, throughout the season one, just because, you know, you go, we go. And, you know, the better he's been, the better Georgia State's offense has been. And he was really good in the se in the first half. Um, and I think that obviously adds a layer to the offensive performance of the second half when he wasn't there. You know, the injuries 
certainly hinder Georgia State. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but the fact that we got to week, what, th- what is this, 13? And, you know, you're starting running back goes down and then you turn into an offense that has 70 yards and, you know, 30 minutes of football play. Like, yeah, obviously, you know, we talk about the next man up thing and like, yeah, it's, it's always good when, you know, that actually can happen. But I also understand when it can't happen, just given the personnel and the talent, like, you know, sometimes there is no next man. Um, But man, (laughs) this team, this team, this football team that has had a very interesting year should have been better, should have been able to do better than they did in the second half. Um, And it just, you know, it wasn't good enough. I think at the end of the day, when you look back at both this season and just this game and this like that half of football, you know, they they gave themselves an opportunity. They did. I, you know, I, I don't think. I don't think Georgia State's mistakes were as impactful um, in giving Old Dominion the win. You know, I know that that sounds kind of like a weird thing to say, but like you said, with the I, interceptions, I do hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. I, like you said, with the interceptions, they weren't great interceptions, obviously, but Old Dominion did not do anything with those interceptions. Um, and when I say mistakes, I'm talking before, like literally the final two drives, like the final Georgia okay. State drive and the final Old Dominion drive. Fair enough. Um, I think those mistakes mattered a good bit in the results. They did. The the safety kind of mattered. Um, I just, I think that Georgia State just did not do enough to win the football game. And then Old Dominion took it from them. Um, And that, despite the string of blowouts that we saw with Georgia State, I mean, I just said basically the entire essence of the second half of the season. You know, Georgia State just didn't do enough to win this football game and a couple other football games. Um, And I think that matters. So. Yeah, I mean, the cynical thought out of this game is, does it even matter that they didn't play James Madison or App State close? Because this game did not give you great evidence that they were poised to win games down the stretch. Because in this game, they were up 24-14. You know, forget that they were up three scores at halftime. They were up 24-14 with the ball at the Old Dominion 24 with six minutes left. That should have been locked game. You know, I forget what I saw. I think the the win percentage got as high as something like 98.6. Perfect temperature win percentage. Um, That drive was kind of the start of where things just started. Everything went against them, you know. They forced that turnover on downs with, I think, the, the, the eighth sack of the night. The defense had eight sacks. They have back-to-back sacks. They're forced turnover on downs. You start just outside the red zone, already in field goal range. Not that a field goal is really what you're looking for there, but it felt like that ended up being what they were kind of playing for. It felt safe, and that was kind of a trend in the second half as far as the offense went. They couldn't get anywhere on that drive. They settle for a field goal, which gets blocked. And at that point, you've already kicked a field goal that even if you make it, it's still a two-score game. So ODU can still go win it with two more scores, which is what they ended up getting. I mean, they held for a field goal in uh, the the first instance, but if it was a 13-point game, they obviously would have gone for it there, and who knows what happens. It's still not out of your hands if you can only make it a 13-point game. But it got blocked, which makes it worse, because that means they can get the field goal. And... You know, from that point, probably the kind of the two worst drives that the defense had all night, and they held off for the field goal in the first one. The onside, I mean, first it gets recovered, but like with madness and multiple bounces around all the way back to the 32. So it already would have been decent field position, but not like great field position for Old Dominion if they get a stop there. But that kick doesn't count because somehow you lined up offside on an onside attempt. I don't know how that happened. There wasn't like a wide shot on the uh, formation on the onside because everyone was bunched together. So I I didn't see who was on or what the deal was there. But because they get a second try, it looked like they were kind of going for one of those onside attempts where he was just trying to kick it off of a Georgia State player um, and missed. But it was kind of fortuitous for Old Dominion because it bounced all the way to the nine where Jakari Carter falls on it. 
And at that point, I guess we have to turn to the uh, center of the room. Um, Alec Johnson came in and had had been having some snap troubles even back to that field goal drive that wasn't, you know, the blocked field goal drive. Two straight plays that go backwards, one of which, you know, Darren has the high snap he can barely corral, and by the time he's able to really put any kind of move on, someone is on him in the end zone. Old Dominion returns the unsuing safety kickoff out to the 50, hit one play down to the six-yard six yard line, and then they walk it off a couple of plays later, and you know, I hate for the defense, honestly, that what will be the memory, what will be the highlight everyone sees from this game is that final touchdown, is that final drive where they scored because they did everything you needed them to to win that game. You know, after so many weeks, you know, three weeks in a row where you have one sack in three games, they had eight. And a lot of that Old Dominion, not a great offensive line. They've had troubles all year. I believe that effort moved them past Colorado for the worst in terms of sacks allowed in FBS. So you took advantage of a, a possible mismatch, but it was still good to see. And it was something you were seeing all through most of the game, even in the fourth quarter when the scoreline getting, started getting a little closer. The defensive front was really good. They weren't having to blitz all that much to get to the quarterback and affect him. They played great. They had to shut out through two quarters. They got a little bit, you know, they lost some guys on some big plays in the second half. And obviously that final play is going to be the one that lives longest in memory of everyone. But it's worse for them because, you know, after they have worn a lot of criticism and some of it for sure warranted over the last month, they came to play in this game for all four quarters. And uh, if the offense was just a little bit more clean, if the special teams got their stuff together more consistently. Georgia State wins that game, and it's on the back of what was a really good defensive performance, but that's not the way the game played out. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to have an entire half of football where you shut out an opponent um, and it ends up being bad. Um, Like, the first half, you shut out the opponent, I should say, and it ends up you not having a good day. yeah, I mean, I, uh, like I said, I, I sound like this only because I, I really don't know. Um, I We try to sit here and have answers for people who look to ask questions. Um, and, you know, I thought that Brady's piece was, you know, really well written. Um, shout out. This is our shameless plug of the week. You know, go to Panther Talk and check out Brady's written work from the post game. Um, All to call him, but I guess technically since it's an online piece, that's just terminology that doesn't mean anything correct just meant i i wrote like a couple extra 500 words or something and put it out the next day column correct sounds fancy i said it like that every time (laughs) column um you know and i'm glad that he was tasked with doing that because i like truthfully i don't have words um i won't i won't hit you with the i won't hit you with the most cynical of takes are we still in the game or are we moved past it? No, I'm still I'm still in the game. Okay. Slightly past it. I won't hit you with the most cynical of takes. Um, because I think it would be very easy to say that in that second half, Georgia like, oh, I knew Georgia State was gonna blow this. Honestly, I didn't I didn't think they were gonna blow it until literally the safety. Um, I thought I thought that they were finding enough ways to be like, okay, yes, obviously Old Dominion has they scored, and now they need the onside kick, but and you know we're re-kicking because of the procedural thing. But I really, I really thought that Georgia State was going to get it done, um, and it was going to be like a oh, this was a lot closer than it needed to be given the way that the game is I mean, going. But down to <laughs> Gavin Pringle having interception, it did feel Louisiana esque all the way. Absolutely. Um, But of course, that one happened in the final 30 seconds and ended the game. This one just gave them the ball to 39. And that was the first of the possessions they got inside the 40 in the fourth quarter. That one, they made the field goal. And that one kind of mattered because it was made it a 10 point game at that point. But it was still another drive where you couldn't get in the end zone. And because we hadn't mentioned it yet, it's another drive where you got inside the five yard line. It was a first and goal to two ended up having to kick a field goal. Um, those woes have been an issue since Louisiana still don't really know what's happened other than just, they've lost that Christmas down there, that crispness, which I still can't say. I think it's the 
second or third time I've tried to say crispness when I've talked about this exact issue and the words are not coming out right. The offense is not coming out right. And they had to get a field goal there. And it mattered because it made it a 10-point game. But even in that moment, it felt like a missed opportunity because off of the interception, they had just cut that to a one-score game at that point. It was 21-14. Just punching it in right there, making it 28-14, restoring the two-score touchdown advantage at that point might have been a little bit of a death knell. Because when you settle for a field goal, even though still you know, mathematics-wise, points-wise, useful field goal to make it a 10-point game still feels like a win for ODU, especially with it being inside the five. Like, they got a little goal line stand that they could go to the sideline and be like, we got this, got to get stops. And, you know, maybe not coincidentally, those are the last points Georgia State scored all night. Yeah, and I mean, it just, it sucks because there's so much talent on this team, you know? Um, to take it away from this specific game and just kind of looking back at this season, um, it really, I feel like it was a tale of like three seasons. Um, it just, there's, I think there's so much talent on this team. Um, and I'm not, I'm not being coy when I say that this isn't a, a shot at the coaching. Um, I think the talent failed to execute in in games. You know, there were times where Darren was a problem. There were times when the line was a problem. There were times when the defense was a problem. Um, having but ultimately, talent, that's a coaching problem. Fair. Having talent and being able to execute are not the same thing. Um, and it just it sucks. It sucks the way that the last couple of weeks have played out. Um, one, given the start, you know, even if you were as down on the team coming into the year as I think I was before, you know, I kind of had to talk myself into them being a bull eligible team. I mean, six and one is six and one, regardless of how you swing it. You know, like there was a, a moment in time this year where Georgia State was getting national. You know, people were talking about Georgia State football um, and. I'm not saying that they've never talked about Georgia State football because that's not that's not true. That would be completely unfair. People have talked about Georgia State football before. Um, but, you know, when you're in October and people are talking about you because your record looks like Georgia State's record did, that's usually a good thing. Um, and then to go from there to where they are now um, I don't even know that disappointed is the strongest of words that I could use because um, I don't want to be cruel. Like, I, I don't want to be crass or cruel, right. but like there's there's got to be a, a stronger but cleaner word than disappointment um, because it, that just that sucks. Like they they you know, like I said, six and one is six and one. They're, they're, it should have gone better than it did. And it it sucks that it didn't. Right. I mean. When you start out the year, the four game winning streak, that should be some kind of big thing you can point to. But when you close the year with five straight losses, it kind of negates the buzz that was there. And the other part of it is like, and I can only speak for me as far as this goes. If there are other people out there who were just going off of the record and being like, yes, this team is improved to look at the games they're winning for me. It, the start was about how they looked doing it. It was not about, oh, they've gone out there and won four games. And that even goes to when they had to scrap for it against Rhode Island and come back in the second half, something we had not seen 2022 Georgia State do very well in those moments where they were really up against it late in games. And past that, you know, they dropped 41 on Charlotte. Darren Granger threw for 400 yards, almost broke the school record throwing the ball against the Charlotte defense that ended up being pretty good. You go up and win by 13 at Coastal. Like, it was not for me about just how they were winning games. It was that they looked pretty good doing it. And I don't think it was just level of competition. You know, again, 41 against Marshall. Defense was really struggling for the Thunder Herd at that point, but it's still a defense that ended up being not that bad all year, all things considered. And so, sure, they played tougher opponents, but like the team that I saw earlier in the year wasn't about who they were playing as much as they were just clicking and that went away entirely. And that's, I think the frustrating thing. And it's like I said earlier, like there's no guarantee if they were in those games with James Madison and uh, app state that they'd have won them because we saw in this game that maybe those thorny issues about 
last year, not finishing games, came back, and I don't know if it was just losing some games in a row made them lose some mojo, but like whatever it is, something stopped working because it felt like the team that stole a game there in Louisiana and held on was a team that was at least going to maybe split the games they had left. You've got App State at home. It's a team you've never uh, beaten before. There's a lot of reason to be up for that one. Still at that point, you had some belt hopes uh, going to the title game. Even if you look at it now and say, okay, James Madison was just a class above, a very good team that came in and played well. They could have played Georgia Southern closer. They could have played App State closer. And they had this game won. So, like, in the moment with the team that we saw, like, just something got lost. And it's unfortunately kind of what the feeling was last year when just things slipped down the this, this stretch. And I think it's more frustrating because this team showed that they were able to play better than that, but they just, they lost all ability to. And, you know, this game was kind of the, the, the awful cherry on top. And you saw in the first half, like things were working. Like the offense looked like it had early in the year because what they were doing was just taking what the defense was giving them. Yeah. The first drive they had to punt, but old dominion had, two number fives, I think, on the punt. And so it was a legal equipment penalty that gave them another first down. And so they did what Georgia State was doing in the first half. Got an extra chance from their opponent. They went and scored a touchdown off of it. You know, unfortunately, Jason Henderson, the star linebacker for Old Dominion, went down in, I think, the second quarter. Maybe it was the late first quarter. Had a leg injury. He ended up never reentering the game. He was on the sideline for most of it. But after that, you know, it's ruthless. But what Georgia State did was they attacked the middle of the field and got two touchdowns right over the middle, uncovered Amon Green, the tight end, in the end zone for touchdowns. It was textbook what we had seen for the first half of the season. It wasn't anything fancy. Uh, It didn't have to be because they were picking the right spots for the right plays and Darren was making the right reads at the line and everything was clicking. And that's what we saw for the first two quarters. And I don't know if it was a case of when Marcus Carroll was not out there that they just had to change up. They felt like they had to work some more outside runs or they're trying to get Darren more involved. And on some of these short yarded situations, they just felt they could not go to Casey Adams to run up the middle, which maybe is fair because he's not that type of running back. But it felt like they were playing kind of prevent offense. And it's a a label that I don't always go to. And sometimes I think people overuse when they look at what, uh, what offenses are doing. It's something they did last week against LSU. In that circumstance, it made sense because you weren't trying to win that game from the second half on. You wanted to escape. You wanted to run clock and keep the score as low as possible. In this game, it was way too early to go to an offense that was not so predicated on moving the ball downfield, taking shots, and running what had been working. And it felt like whether it was Carroll's injury or whether it was the game situation, just everything got mismanaged from that point of view for me. And that was maybe the chief reason why it felt like the offense was on the back foot on those field goal drives, one of which got blocked, one of which didn't, and um, kind of left where Georgia State left Georgia State where they ended up at the end of this game, scoring 24 points and losing a game that they kind of had no right to lose. Yeah, I think you said it. I mean, you really said it well there. Um you know, they, at the end of the day, they just they really did not have a good, solid offensive game plan. Um, and I mean, sure, they were hurt. Like I said earlier, they certainly did not have a full complement of players on offense, but there's still way too much talent for them to do what they did in the second half. Three points right there in that situation is just not acceptable. So. And again, it does circle back to coaching for me. I mean, out and out saying that I did not find the game plan in the second half good from Trent McKnight as a play caller. But, you know, mentioning the bad snaps, I mean, obviously you never want to lose your center in the middle of the game for the exact reason Georgia State saw you don't want to lose your center in the middle of the game. But Alec Johnson is listed at the backup center all year. If that was going to be a situation where it was a problem, you know, you have other experienced centers on the roster your titan ferris played some center at central michigan is played a bunch of snaps i think he started at center for quite a few times for central michigan you know whether it's you got to make sure the right guy ends up getting subbed in there if you felt like he was not going to be capable like 
if Georgia State cannot go too deep in the number of people who could snap the ball properly in that situation, that's a problem. And that's a problem with offensive line coaching. And, you know, that's why I really just put it on the coaching side of things because he's getting thrown into that moment, big pressure situation. He hasn't been asked to do it. In fact, Alec Johnson has been taking snaps at tight end for most of the year because of the injury to Chris Bird, and he's been acting as kind of that H-back in those 12 personnel sets where they have two tight ends there, like up right on the other offensive lineman. So is that a factor in him, you know, not having, you know, was he taking as many snaps at center as he had been because he had made the move to kind of being a quasi tight end for a lot of the year? I don't know, but like that is something that like situationally, especially with Coach Elliott being a guy that we know has an offensive line coaching background, like that being where everything blew up for you just feels like a real damning thing. And it just, it feels so avoidable. And, you know, Darren didn't seem 100% after the game. Coach Elliott said he didn't think Darren was 100%, but he felt like he gave him the best chance to win and that Darren had said he was clear. And I'm assuming the medical staff cleared him to be out there, but that was the other part of it on that uh, safety play was it just, it felt like Darren was moving not at 100% speed and that was a factor as well. But again, if it was an issue, if you felt he wasn't healthy and you didn't feel like you'd go to McKeeley just to hand off three times, because from where they were punting from, in a situation where they don't go anywhere on that drive, they're up seven. And so, okay, ODU gets the ball probably about midfield, which is where they got it after the safety kickoff anyway. They go down and score on a short field because there was not, it was not too little time. They still definitely had chance to drive at that point. Okay, so they tie it, or they set up for another two-point situation, but maybe there's time on the clock for you after they make a two-point conversion in that circumstance, and ODU can't work the clock all the way down. Like It felt like they did not... You know, it, after saying they didn't, they played it safe in the play calling. In that situation, it felt unnecessarily not safe um, when you just needed to, at the worst case scenario, have an uneventful snaps from the nine yard line, like run into the defense who's ready for the run play three times and punt it, and then see what happens. Ended up being that because they were, you know, running looked like kind of like optiony read stuff. I know Darren lost some yardage on the first play look like an outside run to the left. Like instead of running that stuff, just at least get the offense off the field <laughs> with the score the same as it is and give your defense a shot in a, a seven point game instead of a five point game where ODU has grabbed yet another big momentum piece and they can go win it with a score. All right. So I guess, I mean, we can kind of blend right in on that. Um, that is the first part of the the game stuff we need to talk about. And, you know, full disclosure, I didn't think we would be necessarily making this note, but I think we have to. Um, we possibly are going to be back with a similar kind of talk about the on Thursday podcast later this week. Um, today's as we're recording this podcast is Black Sunday. You've seen a few names uh, come out. Coaches are being relieved of their duties in the Sun Belt so far. The only name is that Terry Bowden is being uh, fired at ULM. But in the athletics piece where they are tracking all of the coaching carousel news, underneath the tab, other jobs we're watching closely, the word from the athletic, Nicole Auerbach and Chris Viannini, I believe, are the two reporters involved in this. Keep an eye out for potential changes at Nevada and Georgia State. So as of right now, as we're recording this podcast, there's not been any news on the Georgia State job opening, but my ears perked up when I saw, or my eyes perked up, whatever makes sense for the right sense of uh, what we're talking about here, uh, when I saw that, because I, it did not strike me as something that they would be speculating on unless they had had some little whispers here or there. I have not heard said whispers yet, but disclaimer, there might be a thing opening with this job. We will see how that plays out. But it does lead on to the second half of this, which we've kind of both talked around but i feel like we should just go head on to head on to now as we've kind of finished with the odu game six and six i don't think it's just the six and six is a disappointment it's that this is how you got here and you're ending on five straight games with a loss the manner in which you lost the games both by a lot and then this one by a little 
Um, like it is dialogue time. Like in both, is this it for Coach Elliott at Georgia State? And if not, what are the multiple, multiple things he needs to change in this offseason to give anyone any kind of hope that you're going to stop seeing the type of stuff that's plagued this team now through at least the last two seasons? Because they're going to a bowl game, excited to see where they end up. I'm still going to be interested to see how they perform a month on. They've done well prepping for bowl games under Coach Elliott. And um, probably it's going to be another 6-6 six and six team, so... Probably not a, a, a game that they are going to be massive underdogs in, if nothing else. But, like, th- that is so much more secondary to just the feeling that everyone's got right now, where it just feels like this team's got a ceiling on it. And when they were 6-1, and one, it didn't feel like that. But right now, it's hard to skirt past those. And, and I will say, personally... I have not leaned into this stuff yet because I have just been saying I've been on team. This stuff has to play out. This was not foretold five weeks ago or five games ago that they were going to lose all of these games. And so I was just saying, okay. Even when it got to losing to Southern, it was like, all right, see how they do in November. They've still got a chance to get to their all time record in wins. I still felt like it was responsible from my point of view to hold off on this. But responsibility has shifted, and I feel like it is irresponsible to avoid the suggestion that this isn't working. This is year seven, and this is maybe the lowest point in morale, even lower than last year when they didn't make a bowl game, that I have felt around Georgia State football fans in a, since John Elliott got here. Because even the 2018 season, which was worse than this one and worse than 2022, I think that there was a little bit of an understanding it was a young team. This one was, you know, two, you know, as highlighted multiple times, a very experienced group who had a lot to prove after last year went poorly. And this year, after everything is said and done, it feels like not a lot shifted from that team, except now they're going to a bowl game. They won two more games against, it has to be said, a more favorable out-of-conference schedule. I still believe what I said earlier about, like, my eyes told me the team was playing well. But when you're sitting here and telling, when I'm sitting here and talking about this was a six and six team last year was a four and eight team. If I didn't mention that this year they didn't play South Carolina and North Carolina, they played Rhode Island and UConn, it would be misleading of me. And so, you know, there it is. Um, I think I agree with you. Um, I don't think that I know I agree with you. The the thing about Coach Elliott that I think is tough um, is the 2023 season is very emblematic of kind of my thoughts on Coach Elliott. Um, coming into the year, it seemed the consensus seemed to be that it was, you know, you have to have uh, you, essentially you have to go to a bowl game. You know, we say that if it was a below 500 record, you know, five and seven probably doesn't get it done this year. Um, and I think the juxtapositions between 2023 and 2018 as in terms of fan apathy, they're, they're not really there for me only because I agree with you. Like, you know, 2018 was the first quarterback that Coach Elliott recruited. Um, that was Dan Ellington's uh, first year at Georgia State. He was only here two years as a player. Um, this year, I mean, this was Darren's third year. Um, you know, he was a starter for two and a half years, essentially, um, in his time at Georgia State. And I think, obviously, last year was disappointing for a number of reasons. You know, and the eye test part of what you said when Georgia State was four and one was real it was real you know they the offense looked like it was clicking and i and i was so careful um mostly for myself because i didn't want to jinx it for myself i was so careful in saying that darren granger was playing like somebody who wanted to be the player of the year in the Sun Belt because it was true at that moment in time after the troy game Darren Granger looked like an incredible quarterback. And I, he still had some times where he looked good later on in the year. You know, it's, um, it is 
so easy for people to say that they Georgia State played down to their competition because the out of conference schedule was what it is, because the early Sun Belt slate was what it was. But I'm sorry, unless you are watching the games and you just hate Georgia State, which is totally totally your prerogative. Georgia State looked really, really, really good through the first month and a half, almost two months of the season. Um, and then when it came time to play the big boys in the Sun Belt, when it came time to play the rival in the Sun Belt, which, you know, Georgia Southern is what it is, but I'll include them in the big boys part of the schedule for the purposes of this conversation. When it came time to play for, you know, marginal motivation, we'll call the ODU game. ODU certainly was more motivated than Georgia State would be probably. Um, but, I, you know, I'd say that there's still some motivation there. I mean, there should, like, in the media availability of the week of the ODU game, Coach Elliott kind of dismissed out of hand the idea that they didn't have anything to play for, that, like, they didn't talk about ODU being up for a game and talked about, you know, you're rah-rah, like, you got to be a competitor. And so I won't give them the cop-out that ODU had something to play for and they didn't. You had a game to play and you wanted to go win it. You had something to play for. Correct. That's, you know, I agree with you. Um, When it came time to playing those games and to be competitive in most of them. Georgia State couldn't do it. Um, and I think I, I I don't want to let the coaches of yesteryear cloud the judgment with Coach Elliott. Coach Elliott is the most successful coach at Georgia State University um, uh, for their football program. Full and complete stop. Um, and I don't I don't say that just because um the others were that bad. No, I think there are a ton of things that Coach Elliott has done extremely well at Georgia State um, in relation to a lot of other coaches. But just like, yeah, I mean, this is a team that runs the ball so well. I can't remember when in the offseason I talked about it, but I went back the last few years before Coach Elliott and in the Bill Curry era and the Trent Miles era. And like Georgia State didn't even know what running the ball was before 2017, it seemed like. And this is a team, this is a school that is so good at running the football now. You wouldn't even think that they were a team that would have like 58 rushing yards a game, you know? I think. What what sucks so much about the tough conversation that probably needs to happen in Atlanta is like this. This really does seem to be where Georgia State is right now. And there are some schools who have earned the right to say, OK, we're six and six. This is not where we've been. We are a 10 win. We are a perennial 10 win team. You know, something either has to change drastically or you're gone. If Sean Clark had ended up being six and six again for App State, he would not have a job today. Um, I mean, like, like, truthfully, if not for the technicality of uh, James Madison not being able to go to the Sunbelt Championship game, I really think that Sean Clark could have gotten fired from App State, even with how they finished. Truthfully, that that is how that football school. Not if they beat you. If they got to eight and four, they'd be he'd be fine. The way they have played the end of the year, it's kind of the opposite of Georgia State. There are a lot of questions about him, but how they look as they finish the year because the games at the end of the year matter more, fairly or unfairly, and I would say mostly fairly. Uh, they looked really good, and so everything seems kumbaya up in Boone now. And it's the opposite for Georgia State, where Dixon won. Okay, what have you done for me lately? Oh, lost five straight games, and so the feeling is the exact opposite. That's fair. You know, we, I mean, I, we can disagree on that simple point. It's a hypothetical anyways. Um, but all of that is to say, I mean, Georgia state is at a crossroads here, truthfully. And it would be silly to say that this is like all time deterministic, um, that whatever they decide to do, you know, this will be who they are as a football school forever. No, that's not the case. There is a way that they don't fire Coach Elliott and they do make the changes that are necessary, um, either at the coordination level, I mean, either at the position coach level and they get better. They continue to improve. And year eight is actually different. Um, 
I don't know that that is something that I personally would be willing to do if I was making the decisions, but that's why nobody pays me to make the decisions. They just ask me to give my thoughts on it. Um, I do think though, that it is time to part ways with coach Elliot. Um, and it's, it's not an easy conversation. It's not an easy decision. Um, and so, you know, something that, uh, somebody in the college football space kind of, you know, put it, has put in my ear over the last couple of years. Is it's, it's real easy to fire a coach, but that doesn't mean that the next guy that you're going to get is actually going to be better. Um, that's true. You know, sometimes you still make a bad hire. Um, but I don't know that I believe Georgia state to making a bad hire specifically. Um, and I, mean, I think it might happen, but that. it might be time to risk it. And like, yes. the thing of the, it is, is like, you're kind of at a point because he's where his contract is at. You basically have to decide soon to give him an extension or to move on because coaches don't go into last year's of the contract. Um, and if they, the choice right now is binary, Losing five straight to close out this year that you had started out so well is pretty bad timing if you're trying to if you're coach Elliott and you want the decision to go in your favor because I just don't think you can look at the season as like bucking any kind of trend now that everything's been said and done and you've got the same issues that have been plaguing this team for the last few seasons. And it does feel like there's a bit of a governor. And I don't I agree with you, like they could make changes. They could be the exact same record next year. And maybe it's not embarrassing losses. And maybe it's just like, okay, they're a six and six team. And at that point, maybe if the buyout's lower and that's when they decide to make a move, it's a choice so they can swallow the buyout. I don't believe that would necessarily set Georgia state back you know, eight years and, you know, rebuild this, rebuild that. But it feels like a moment where you're seeing a lot of people who are both really into Georgia State and even just casually into Georgia State. Like the number of people that have been in my mentions after this game that have not been around, you know, commenting on my tweets for the games, seeing Georgia State, you know, David Sheely, Georgia State alum, who's now working down in Tampa, put out a thread about it. Like this loss was a blaring loud thing that everyone noticed. You know, it led college football final on ESPN. Uh, last night on Saturday evening, a lot of people saw this and it's like, oh, yeah, Georgia State, even if they haven't been following every game this year, they saw, oh, they're six and six. Nothing's changed. And that's the feeling that I think people really want to shake is getting out ahead of the idea that that was OK, that you can just kind of move on from this with some little cosmetic changes here and there and everything's going to be all right. If Coach Elliott is the coach in 2024 when the team has Georgia Tech. I can't guarantee that there's going to be like a massive fan base that even makes that short trip to Atlanta. That is not a trip at all. I think it would be probably the most attended road game for Georgia State in a while, just by default. But the point of it is that there will be a groundswell of apathy, I think, because there's people who have made up their minds on this coach. And it's easy to do that because it's year seven and you haven't broken through at this point. And if it's decision time on what the future is, I, that's why I think you have to make it now because if you look at the job market, okay, there's your Texas A&M making higher. There's still some decisions to be made and some, you know, Michigan might open up, Ohio State might open up, but those don't factor on the Georgia State level. Like we could be real and say that those don't factor. The current job openings at the G5 level, ULM, New Mexico, San Diego State, though I guess their status with the pack in the Mountain West, I don't really know what you call them. They're a pretty decent program. I would say it's a better job than Georgia State is. And UTEP is the last one. And Boise. But Boise's made a, a access bowl, so they're also they're up there. But like Georgia State's a better job than New Mexico, better job than UTEP, better job than ULM. Not by like a ton. It's not like a massive, massive job. It is not on the same level as even your Syracuse's and your Indiana's because those jobs can pay a lot more. And that's just the reality of the business. But like if they were to make a move in this little window as little whispers that showing up in the athletic piece shows they might be doing, they could get one of the, you know, the candidate they're looking for. They can get a, as quality of a, a candidate right now in the job market because it's not a time where you have a bunch of the same type of jobs opening up. And so for that reason, I think it makes sense. And yeah, it's super easy for me to say that to a podcast microphone. 
in a little Discord talking with two of my friends. It shouldn't be a rash decision, but with the way this season has been trending, if it has not been something that Charlie Cobb and company have been thinking about, and especially in the last couple of, you know, through the last 24 hours, kind of sitting with that loss, that would be a problem. And, you know, the buyout this, the buyout that, like the truth is, is I think what you are also seeing from fans is not wanting to be a program that whatever it's, whether it's $1 million buyout, whether it's $1.5 million, not being a program that that is a barrier to making a move if it's time. Like if the only reason a move is not made is because of the money, I think that will be a real, you know, frustrating viewpoint for fans looking at this because, you know, money is not, you know, Indiana, not that they're a comparable athletic, but they are paying Tom Allen, I think something like 15 million. They worked out a, a lump sum deal. Like Charlotte paid Will Healy 1.5 million last year to go away because things were going badly. You want to know really when you badly. Pay the buyout? You want to know when you pay the buyout? When you look at a full Center Park Stadium a year from next Saturday I and mean, it's when Georgia State is hosting the Sun Belt Championship game. Truthfully, like I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that they that it's all horseshoe and rainbows and that is the easiest path to paying the buyout. But that's not that's that not is, the easiest path. The easiest path is having a donor with that kind of cash and that kind of sway. Like it is not about necessarily the regular Georgia State fans that, of which there are not enough of them but there are some diehards that are frustrated with the results on the field. I don't think it's as easy as like if fans show up there will be money for a buyout. I think that there needs to be, you know, people with deeper pockets than you or I having those conversations, that's what doesn't exist. But whatever the nuts and bolts of it, the fact is, if there's not a move made now, it'll feel like an acceptance that yesterday was okay and that money is enough of an object that Georgia State can't boot for the goals they say they want. And I totally understand that frustration. And so that's why I say it would be a moment. I don't think that not making the move now, giving them a little bit of time to maybe make some staff adjustments, I don't know that that is a death knell for anything, but I do know right now people are looking for Georgia State to be strong and say six and six when this is what it looks like is a problem. And year eight, we don't have any reason to believe look that much different than year seven. And we want to bring in someone new with some new ideas. I understand that entirely. And I think I can't really dispute it because at this point, it's really hard to see, you know, coaches don't get this long that often in college football anymore. Used to see it a lot, but the coaches that lasted 10, 20 years, they had a bump year. They did something at a certain point that earned them a little bit of cachet with the fan base. And I think one year where you go eight and five hasn't done that for Georgia State fans. And so that's where we sit at this moment right now. And I think for a lot of people, the game against Old Dominion was a lot of the things they've been seeing for a couple of years that they feel like just is not getting corrected with this coaching staff in place. And so that is, that is shaping a lot of the current sentiment in Panther nation. Um, I will say one final thought um, on this um, to not belabor the point, because of course we have to have a midweek podcast as well, not only to talk about basketball, but to also talk about football. Um, Coach Elliott got to Atlanta in 2017. The Sun Belt has evolved um, in that time. Idaho and New Mexico State are no longer with us. Um, there have been some new entrants. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, yes. Um, there has also been some new entrants, but the Sun Belt has been more or less 12 to 14 teams in that period of time over those seven years. There have been seven different of those schools that have won 10 games or more. Georgia State is not one of them. Just just a note to chew on as we end this week. Yeah, and like there's no guarantee that Georgia State's going to go hire someone this offseason that's going to do that immediately or ever. Like it is a task that involves a lot more than just one football coach. It involves a whole momentum going the right direction to building a consistent winner. Um but I think that you can you can say it's time. Like 
be we're still be talking about this team no matter what if they do not make a coaching change and still the same guys or most of the same staff in place and i will also say this that whether it's a new coach whether it's an old coach i've seen the sentiment that like oh it'll be a rebuild in 2024 and i'm here to tell you rebuilds don't really exist anymore in college football with the transfer portal you can go out and get a bunch of impact players in one off season and you can steady things at the very least. There's no reason for a team to drop off just because they lose some guys the year before. If Georgia State keeps the same staff, goes out and gets some players, and they are no, they don't win six games, they don't win seven, they win eight. It wasn't because it was a rebuild year. It's because they didn't ID the right guys or they didn't coach them up enough or whatever. And so I say that to say, again, I... I just I'm interested to see the way this goes. You know, it'll be an interesting week, half week, depending on which is the next time uh, we speak to you guys. And I have some thoughts on what could change. I mean, I put some of them in my piece on Panther Talk about if it is just internal changes, what could change to improve things? I guess I will wait and see kind of what direction this thing goes. And if we get any kind of vote of confidence or vote of no confidence and what shifts and Yes, we will talk about the basketball as well in the midweek. Georgia State lost 65-57 to Charlotte on Saturday as well. Real fun doubleheader there. Uh, but we'll, we'll work in to talk about that game on uh, on our next pod or maybe the pod after that if things get really crazy. And also look at the Kennesaw State basketball game after that, which is coming up this Saturday. Yeah, that was a very fun two hours. Um, and I, I joked with a friend that the basketball, when Georgia State had like a what, 12-point halftime lead in basketball, uh, I joked that like, oh, this one's coming down. And sure enough, there was an, uh, uh, a 13-0 run to start the second half for Charlotte. Um, it was good. Like, it it was not the I don't want people to think that those were the exact same types of games that happened. It was just an unfortunate Saturday for Georgia State Athletics. So. If you made it this far, thank you for listening. Truly thank you for listening. This is among the the toughest weeks to uh, listen to anyone talk about Georgia State Athletics. So if you've spent this much time doing it, we humbly, humbly thank you for your patronage.